Well, Mark, are you ready to write some more? Listen, if you need a longer break, I'd understand. I'm sure your hand and eyes are both tired. I'd hate for you to smudge any of the pages. We can just talk a while. Or, or really, how about you sit there and I'll talk. I'll tell you a little bit about the next section we want to write. Some people say I talk too much, but I don't really see it. Have you thought any about what to call the book when we're done? I've been thinking the memories of Peter of his time with Jesus Christ, as told to Mark, of course. So we definitely want to leave in the as told to Mark part. Your contribution to this has been quite significant. Really, something happens when I tell you my memories and you put them down on the paper. It's like they come alive to me. Like there were things that I couldn't understand in the moment. But when we talk about it, when you write it down, it's like... It makes sense to me now. Sort of like how everything changed that one week in Jerusalem. Oh, Mark, I wish you could have seen it when we entered the city. I call it the first day of the last week. And I wish you could have been there on that first day. Uh, your mother lived in the city at the time. I expect she's probably told you stories, though you were too young to remember. Oh, but if you could have been there, finally, Mark, we were going to Jerusalem. We weren't sneaking away or hiding in the country or going across the sea or trying to avoid attention. No, we were actually drawing attention. It finally felt like we imagined it would feel a time of revolution. People would know our story. They would know our faces. More importantly, they would know his story. They would know his face and they would love him. That's all I wanted. And when the cries of hallelujah started, it felt like we had finally arrived. Now, he had warned us, of course. He'd told us in advance that this trip to Jerusalem was no victory lap. But I guess I couldn't hear it then. I mean, don't get me wrong, he tried. He told us three times what to expect. Three times in a row he said to us, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die. They'll hand him over to the Romans. They'll mock him and spit on him, flog him and whip him, and they will kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. But even with all the warnings, that's not what it felt like. This was the big city. At the big festival time, everyone was there. So when he told two of our guys to go get a donkey, well, I knew this was going to be big. It, it wasn't like he was too tired to walk. He was doing this on purpose. And, and you don't sneak around, you know, on a donkey. When you get on a donkey, you want to be noticed. You are begging for attention. And the people knew it too, and they went wild. They couldn't even keep their coats on, ripping them off, throwing them on the ground. They ripped the leaves off the trees and laid them. They made a path for Jesus to ride on. People do weird things when they know something is happening and they're just not sure what. Hosanna, 
they cried. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And we were right there. Like like royalty. It felt like we were in the middle of a giant story, like the ones we'd all read and the ones we'd all hoped for and the ones we'd all wish to see come true. Like it was the story that everyone had been waiting for. Ever since Zechariah and his own scribes, sort of like you, Mark, had written down that prophecy, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, daughter Jerusalem, look, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And there we were, and we had it all. Riding into Jerusalem? Check. On a donkey? Check. A a king? Check. Shouts of rejoicing? Check. Victory of God assured? Check. But I wasn't the only one going down the lists. The people had the same list I had, and so did the Pharisees. And they saw it all. Coming to Jerusalem? Check. Shouts of Hosanna? Check. Jesus finally doing what a Messiah was finally supposed to do? Check. And while the people rejoiced, The Pharisees decided it was time to kill him. Jesus, oddly enough, he seemed to be working off his own checklist. You would have been so confused if you'd been there, Mark. While we were all rejoicing, he was cursing a fig tree because it wasn't fruitful. He was challenging the temple, overturning tables, announcing that they had become a bunch of robbers instead of the house of prayer for all nations. He wouldn't give a straight answer to a single question. And he challenged the authorities at every turn. Jesus predicted alarming changes. The whole world turned upside down. He claimed that everything we loved would fall away and the only thing we could rely on was him. It was like he was working off a different checklist. Defy the temple? Check. Taunt the Pharisees? Check. Challenge the authorities? Check. Refuse to fit onto anybody else's checklist? Check. The Pharisees, in turn, they went out of their way to humiliate him. They pestered him with puzzles and religious riddles, trying to make him look like a fool. But every time, he gave an answer that confounded them. He just kept talking about things falling about the temple falling and nations falling and families falling, about even the stars falling. And the more he talked, some people loved him more. You know, if you were, you know, on the down and out and people talked about turning things upside down, well, that sounded pretty good to you. But the more he talked, some people hated him more. If you had the keys to the kingdom, if you held all the power, and Jesus talked about turning things upside down. 
Well, they figured they'd make him fall first. And so idle conversation about wanting to kill Jesus, which they'd been having for quite a while, turned urgent. They knew they needed to find their moment, but how could they in the midst of the adoring crowds? You you see, the, the crowds were there because somehow when you're with Jesus, everything happens at once. And this week, the week where we marched into Jerusalem with hosannas and donkeys and shouts of victory, it was also the Passover week. And everyone was in the city to prepare, to celebrate the, the, the history, the memory of God's salvation. Jesus sent some of us ahead to try to beat the crowds and find a room where we could share the Passover meal. Look for a man carrying a pitcher, he said, and he will lead you to a place where there's a room. So a couple of us went, and it was just like he said. Man with a pitcher, check. Room available, check. Big enough for all of us, check. They'd let us use it for Passover, check. Honor God's past salvation while we hope and tremble in fear that God might save us again, check. What we didn't know, or couldn't know, or maybe just didn't want to know, was that while we were preparing for the Passover, Judas had other preparations he was making. His preparations were like this, find the chief priests, check. Agree to get Jesus in a private place away from the crowds, check. Negotiate the price of his capture. Check. Betray unto death the one who had come to save him and save us all. Check. We didn't know what Judas was up to, too busy preparing the Passover preparations. But Jesus did. He told us, Just as we were raising a glass to the Passover, celebrating the saving work of God, he told us that one of us, there at the meal, would soon betray him. One of us who had shared all these meals and traveled all these miles and heard all these stories and known such great hope, one of us would turn on him. I can't really speak for everyone else. But in that moment, my greatest fear was that it could be me. I could hardly eat. Something about the lamb and the bitter herbs. I just didn't want to face the moment we were in. But but Jesus, he didn't seem afraid at all. Certainly not as afraid as he should have been when one of his chosen was about to betray him. He he made sure that we didn't lose the point. That God was still saving. That God didn't stop saving thousands of years ago in the Passover, but that God was still saving us. 
And that the old story of God's salvation was about to be new again right in front of us. That God still saves. And God would do it again through Jesus. I see it so clearly now, Mark. Jesus is the temple that falls and would be rebuilt in three days. Jesus is the lamb that bleeds. Jesus is the bread that is broken. Jesus is the wine that is poured out. And we, we're supposed to receive that salvation. Boy, the way he said it, and the way he looked that whole meal, I was so glad we sang a song when the meal was over. I really needed to worship. (laughs) It's funny. When I tell you now, Mark, it, it all makes sense. But right then, I only sort of understood. I just knew that God had saved in the past and that Jesus was promising that God would continue to save us. I couldn't see then what I see so clearly now. And I guess what I hope that everyone who ever shares in this meal will see. That through Jesus Christ, God still saves. You know, Mark, I guess since we're not writing, we could stop and share in the meal right now if you want to. Bread for Christ's body and the cup for Christ's shed blood. You know, that's why this meal is always the center of worship. Whenever Christians gather, it's what Jesus gave us so that we would never forget that God still saves us. Why don't we take a break from the stories now and share in that meal together? God, We thank you for your salvation that spans the centuries. The rescue of Passover where you brought your people out of slavery. And the rescue of Jesus through whom all people are saved. In every present distress that we face, we remember now the mercy of Jesus Christ who through the cross brings us salvation. We share in this meal together now, God, giving thanks to Jesus for his mercy on our lives. Mark, singing that song with Jesus and the other disciples, It was like it sealed the moment, made it last a little longer. I loved that song. But we couldn't stay in that sweet spot for very long. Jesus said that only one of us would betray him. But as we walked, he said that all of us would abandon him. He said that all of us would desert him. I I couldn't believe that he was saying it. Here he was saying my greatest fear out loud that we would lose him or that he would lose us, that we would disappoint him, that we would miss our moment to do the right, brave, important 
thing. The only way I could think to make it untrue was to pull him aside and say it can't be true. I said to him, maybe everyone else will betray you, but I won't do it. I will not abandon you. And there, in front of everyone, he said to me, yes, Peter, you will. Not once, but three times you will deny even knowing me. And so that you remember, and so that you know that I knew it would happen, after you've done it, you'll hear the rooster crow twice. And you will remember. I told him, I would die before I let that happen. And I said it, Mark, and I meant it. Or at least I thought I meant it. You can put that in your book too if you want to. It doesn't make me look that great, but I want people to know the whole story. From there, we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. It had been one of my favorite places, Mark. But that night, we went there to pray. Jesus was upset. He told us he was deeply grieved. I'll never forget those words, deeply grieved. He asked us to stay with him and, and pray with him. And I know we all intended to do it, but we were so tired, you see. Already the week had been so big and it was so late. I closed my eyes just for a second. I was going to pray. I'm not sure how long I slept before he woke me up. Already, Mark. I'd let him down. He, he challenged me, keep awake, he said. Pray with me. And I think I tried. But it happened again. Twice more. The last time I awoke from sleeping when I should have been praying, it was to the sight of swords and clubs and the smirk of the chief priests as they and their soldiers came in the night toward us. And there, amidst them all, was Judas, making his way toward Jesus. Smiling, he called him teacher. And Jesus just stood still and let Judas walk up to him greet him, kiss him, and betray him. I'm not sure they would have known which one was Jesus in the night like that if Judas hadn't been there to give him away. They arrested him. I was so mad. It was so wrong. A few of us carried swords I pulled it out. Sure, we could fight our way out of this. We would stand up for him. We would die with him if we needed to. 
but he wouldn't let us. He went away with him. We'd seen his power, Mark. I've told you about it, how he could still the waves and heal the sick and feed the thousands, and he just walked away with this little band of soldiers. I stayed as close as I could. Not close enough to let myself be seen, of course. I don't know why I was hiding, but I did. Maybe I was afraid that the swords now pointed at him would be pointed at me. Maybe I was afraid that it wasn't worth the fight. Jesus certainly wasn't fighting. They mocked him questioned him, accused him, abused him. They spit on him and beat him. They made fun of him. And he just took it. I stood at a distance trying to understand what I was seeing. When behind me, I heard a young girl's voice say, you were with him. You knew him, didn't you? She said it to the people standing around. Soon the, the, the whole crowd wondered who I was and if I'd known him. Again and again they asked me and three times I told them the same thing. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who he is. I was never with him. And then the rooster crowed. Twice. So that I would know that he had always known that I would deny Jesus, the very one who came to save me. But if, if he knew everything, Mark, then what was he doing about it? When Pilate asked him if he was a king, why didn't he say something? When they accused him falsely, why didn't he defend himself? Why all the silence? Why did he just take it? None of it made sense then, Mark. Oh, I see it now, but I didn't see it then. And so we walked away. The same path we'd been on. The first day of the week. The path we'd thought was the path to victory. The one where hosannas had rung in our ears. But now this same path just brought us to soldiers. And swords. And hammers. And nails. And a cross. They fashioned a sign to hang above his head in three languages so that everyone would understand they mocked him here is your slaughtered king I hear the voices again not hallelujahs or hosannas but voices I don't recognize I hear one behind me ha ha Look at you now. You said you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. You can't even save yourself. 
one off to my left. He saved others, but can't save himself. If this is truly the Messiah, let this King of Israel come down from the cross and we will believe. Then the darkness fell as if the heavens themselves could not bear to watch. And I heard another voice, a voice I knew too well. Eli, Eli. Lama Sabachthani. It was Jesus. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? And he breathed one more time. it was finished. Well, Mark, it was a confusing week. I thought things were hopeful when we marched into the city and heard the hosannas ring. But now I see the hope we needed was on the cross. Not the shouts of hosanna, but the slow, agonizing death of Jesus. When Jesus experienced all the suffering of the world and he met us in the place of our sin and our suffering and our struggle and he redeemed all of it, he conquered suffering and conquered sin and conquered death. That was where the hope was. Well, Mark, I don't know how you'll fit all that in your book. If your hands are rested and you're ready to write again, I'll go back and tell it again. I'll try to slow down and not leave out so much this time. I really want people to know this story, Mark. The story of how God saved the world yet again. The story of Jesus, the Messiah, who died on a cross so that you and I and everybody could be saved. 